Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Bernard DeVoto was the first Pulitzer Prize winner from Utah. He was a prominent writer on many issues, from the American West to Mark Twain to conservation of the natural environment. While Stegner called him Utah's most prominent writer, yet he's largest forgotten in Utah and his hometown of Ogden. This year marks the 125th anniversary of his birth, and a Bernard DeVoto Commemoration Committee has been formed to raise, as they say, public awareness of the enormous contributions DeVoto has made to American letters, to the conservation of Western lands and resources, and to the history of the American West. And today, we'll be discussing the life and works of Bernard DeVoto. Our guests include David Rich Lewis, a Utah State University Emeritus Professor of History. Professor Lewis, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It's nice to be here. Good to have you. And uh, we also have with us Russell Burroughs, an associate professor at Weber State University, uh, uh, specializing in American literature. Professor Burroughs, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. So, Professor Burroughs, you're uh, one of the co-chairs of the uh, committee, the Bernard DeVoto Commemoration uh, Committee. Uh, I've outlined, I guess, the reasons. Um, tell me a little bit more about what's happening with the committee this year. Well, the uh, the credit uh, for the commemoration largely belongs to <clears throat> Scott Greenwell, who's a retired history professor, I think adjunct status up here at Weber, and is also a, a principal um, for the local schools, the grade schools. And he's the one who contacted me and said that uh, it's coming up on an anniversary, happened to be the 125th, and he said we ought to we ought to do something because the uh, Devoto remains uh, largely unknown, um, not only here in Ogden, his birthplace, but uh, across the the state. And uh, so I joined up pretty gladly, and I played my part. I, I hope well enough. Um, Scott organized a, a publication. Weber State has a a magazine, uh, Weaver the Contemporary West, and uh, we got uh, we got uh, about uh, four publications uh, put into that magazine to commemorate Devoto. Um, we've had a hard time because of the pandemic uh, with our meetings, but we had a a Zoom meeting for the Weaver Historical Society, which I hope came off pretty well. Um, we've got some other activities on hold, but this fall, this fall, the trails committee down here in Weber County is going to host its annual banquet and uh, bring in Devoto's uh, most recent biographer, Cation. We hoping we hope that comes off pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much how it got started. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Let's jump into uh, Devoto's life. We'll talk about his works as well. Uh, let me start with uh, Professor Lewis. Um, you you wrote an article, wrote uh, in some chapters, articles on why I guess uh, trying trying to examine why Devoto, who Wallace Stegner, no less, uh, called uh, Utah's most prominent writer, why he's not better known. Maybe we can outline some of the reasons. Yeah, um, well, uh, Bernard DeVoto grew up as a, a, an outsider in Ogden, Utah, a father of backsliding, or a, a lapsed Catholic, and his mother a backsliding Mormon. And 
Devoto was an odd kid to begin with. Uh, intellectual, he read a lot. Uh, he had an accident where his face, his nose was smashed uh, early in life. And so he looked odd, he acted odd, and he was way smarter than most of the people around him. And smart people <laughs> tend to put other people off. And that's, that's really uh, the beginning of Devoto in, in Utah and his frustration with the place. Uh, he went to uh, school at a pro- Catholic parochial school and then Ogden High School, University of Utah, where he discovered um, that freedom of speech was under attack, especially by the dominant culture, uh, the, the LDS Church. And then he went off to Harvard. And it's in that moment, as he moves away from Utah and gets his degree, uh, that he starts looking at it and uh, joins uh, a literary tradition of the moment of, of belittling rural America, uh, belittling small-town America. Think Sinclair Lewis and John Dos Passos and, and uh, Sherwood Anderson and uh, um, a, n- a number of others. And so he publishes early on three, three pieces. The, the first is a novel. Uh, 1924, called The Crooked Mile, where he tells the story of a, of a bright Harvard graduate who, gets, uh, uh, who, who comes back home to his small western town, uh, doesn't fit in, and kind of eviscerates it after making fun of it. Uh, a second piece he wrote specifically for uh, an anthology about Ogden, uh, and he just rips Ogden left and right uh, as a small-town highest place, beautiful environment, uh, but just a a place of small thinkers. And then finally, uh, the key piece uh, in the American Mercury, uh, edited by H.L. Mencken, uh, one of the the most prominent satirists of of then or now, uh, a piece called Utah, where he really uh, breaks Utah apart, uh, talks about the various uh, pieces of it in historical terms and then in contemporary cultural terms. Uh, it is a difficult article to read for Utahns then and now, and uh, uh, that kind of begins then his estrangement from Utah. Uh, even though most people never read any of these three pieces, that becomes the defining moment of, of uh, or the defining uh, uh, element of who the Bernard DeVoto is and what he's worth. And at that point, Utah essentially turns their back on him. A pretty strong reaction, right? In Ogden and in Utah, uh, just, uh, you know, offended. And uh, I guess they turned their backs, as you say, and determined to forget him, I guess, or not pay attention to him. Well, and, and rightly so. Nobody likes to be made of fun of uh, in front of an international, uh, national and international audience. Uh, nobody likes to uh, have themselves and their weaknesses held up for everybody else to see. Uh, what Devoto said was intended to hurt. Uh, the way Utah and the way his Mormon uh, childhood friends and colleagues had hurt him. Uh, and, and he did very well at it. Uh, you say in this, uh, you're writing about this, that... Uh a lot of people missed the real point of uh, of that particular essay. He uh, he did make fun, um, but he was lamenting the fact that uh, over time the the Mormons had become 
less unusual and become more mainstream. Yeah, I mean, really, that's his point uh, in this. And he starts out with a history lesson about what made Utah so unique, so interesting, so vibrant, so weird, right? And a lot of that is LDS uh, culture and polygamy and everything else. But his point really was that that was an interesting period in Utah's uh, uh, past, Uh, but that the present was boring. Utahns, Mormons, LDS, non-LDS had given up what made them distinct and uh, became, as he put it, modern. And here's his critique, like others, uh, Upton, uh, Sinclair Lewis and others, about small-town America, that it became boring. They became like everybody else. Uh, and that's what Devoto really begins to point out and poke fun at, uh, and that's hard for Utahns to hear. But within that, he makes uh, an acute historic observation about where this shift occurs and where historians and, and people at the time thought, well, the shift in Utah happens with the Woodruff Manifesto and the end of polygamy. Uh, Devoto says, no, not so quick. Really where this happens is in 1906 when Reed Smoot becomes a senator and the church is held up for close examination. And the prophet, uh, LDS president, uh, prophet uh, uh, Joseph F. Smith, has to back the church away from a lot of its earlier doctrines and transition it to a more modern religion, a more acceptable religion. And Devoto captures this just a decade after it happens, when nobody else really does, and until really the, the early 2000s. Historians didn't really even see this transition moment uh, in Utah culturally and politically. And I think that's really uh, one of the most important parts about this essay, is that Devoto sets uh, a new standard, if you will, in historical interpretation, while it's actually in the process of happening. There are indications, you write, that uh, he, you know, he, he wanted maybe to have a bit of reconciliation, uh, might have been moving that that way. In fact, the, you know, the, I think it was the Standard Examiner wrote glowingly about him, but then he died suddenly. I guess that, that ended that. Yeah, I, I mean, he never thought much of these essays in, in many ways. It was just, it was his younger self. Uh, throwing bricks through the window of the house that he used to live in. And, uh, uh, but, you know, he, he came to see that, that that was really childish, and he even criticized his literary contemporaries for doing that very thing, that they had thrown out the, the baby with the bathwater, if you will, about what was really good about small-town America, rural America, and the American dream. Um, and he, he apologizes <laughs> In a way, because Devoto uh, is great at making arguments and making critiques, and apologizing is is harder to come by. But but he does. Uh, He says what he said was childish. It was youthful uh, exuberance, and it really didn't amount to much. Utahns never really heard that apology and never accepted it as as such. Mm. 
Let me turn to uh, Professor Burroughs. Uh, so uh, we've been talking about some of the reasons why, uh, you know, Bernard DeVoto is, is not uh, honored or remembered as, as much as uh, you think he should, uh, you know, in Ogden, in Utah. Um, so maybe you could outline some of the reasons uh, how big he was uh, in, in his time and uh, his, the influence that it continues to carry. Uh, what, are, what are some of the, the major works that you focus on? Well, uh, <clears throat> I mark uh, the beginning of DeVoto's career. Um, um, his ambition was to write novels, and uh, that went hand-in-hand hand with literary criticism. Um, he uh, undertook uh, a biography of Mark Twain. Um, he ran into trouble because... The uh, devoto applied to use the uh, papers, Mark Twain's papers, held in an estate, and the authorized biographer, um, Albert Bigelow Payne, refused uh, devoto permission to, um, act, uh, to get at those papers, and Payne said uh, somewhat egotistically that everything that needed to be written about Mark Twain, he had already written. <laughs> and... Uh, DeVoto must have done a slow boil, and he went to work uh, on a social history. Um, not of Mark Twain, uh, the man, but instead of Mark Twain's America. And that, uh, that social history um, that put uh, Twain into a contemporary context um, began to remake the thinking uh, about Mark Twain. Um, um, Professor Lewis talked about DeVoto's capacity to make an argument. Um, here I can touch on that just a little bit. When DeVoto wrote Mark Twain's America, he he uh, leveled his gun sights at a prominent critic uh, named Van Wick Brooks, who'd uh, also established a reputation of Mark Twain's studies. Um, Brooks... Uh, book was under the title of The Ordeal of Mark Twain, and it was a Freudian critique of uh, Mark Twain's personality, and the uh, that Freudian critique undertook to discover why Twain had, re- had been a failed artist, um, and that was just like a red flag to a bull, as far as DeVoto, because uh, when when DeVoto wrote his book, he named Brooks explicitly and uh, teed off on some of the uh, passages in The Ordeal of Mark Twain. And it was considered a, pre- a breach of decorum at the time to mention another critic by name, but DeVoto did it. And uh, that started a long argument. Uh, but it also started a, a revolution in, in uh, how we have valued Mark Twain and to elevate him to be one of our essential authors. Um, um, another high point of DeVoto's career is he, when he finally discovered that uh, he wasn't much of a novelist, unfortunately, um, he turned to history. And he wrote uh, a trilogy of Western history, 
um, that won the Pulitzer Prize, won the Bancroft Prize, which is a, uh, a prize reserved for history or diplomacy. And uh, it happened, that's uh, an award made by the Columbia University of New York. And it happened that DeVoto won the first Bank- Bancroft Prize. And to add to that list, uh, DeVoto's history has also won a National Book Award. Um, that's quite a sweep. Those historical titles are the Year of Decision, 1846, um, which and, and DeVoto uh, focused on that year because so many of the historical events, not the least of which was the Mexican War, um, by which we got uh, the Southwest. Um, also, the threat of another war with England, by which we got the Northwest. Um, also, Devoto uh, devoted lots of pages to the Mormon immigration, um, and it was left to the Mormons to bring in the interior of the West, which is arguably the hardest part of that job. And Devoto also touched on politics. The the Weimar proviso, a bill that had it uh, become law, would have checked the spread of slavery into the Western territories, and the failure of the Weimar Proviso tipped the nation inevitably towards civil war. Um, this in Devoto's account of it and, it, and it, and it's been an argument that's held up pretty well. A second title um, is Across the Wide Missouri, which happens to be my favorite of the three, and it's a study of the fur trade. Uh, during the 1830s, primarily, and it's it's just a raucous good read. It's Devoto uh, packed it with lots of folklore, um, and I'd recommend that one wholeheartedly. Um, but Devoto also included uh, or finished that trilogy, I should say, with the Course of Empire. When Devoto said that had been the one hardest to write because he uh, he said he looked for the antecedents of the story of America and he kept going um, further and further back until he'd arrived at Columbus and so it's a big sprawling book um, and sometimes doesn't have the rhetorical bite that Devoto was able to put into his other histories but it is a very uh, worthwhile contribution to his his trilogy, and then he became a, a regular columnist for Harper's Magazine. Uh, the feature was called the Easy Chair. Um, Devoto wrote uh, wrote that column um, for twenty years, which was considered quite a load to carry, right up to his death in '55. And uh, Wallace Stegner reflected the importance of that uh, journalism when he, uh, Stegner titled his um, biography of DeVoto, The Uneasy Chair. <clears throat> and in recent years, we've turned to uh, DeVoto's essays in the service of conservation. So, um, And to that, I could add, uh, DeVoto was also a consumer advocate. So he had a well-rounded career. Yeah. Um, that's and that's 
That'd be an outline of some of the high points. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll go back and uh, take some of those up uh, with greater details as we go along. We're overdue for a break. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll, uh, we're talking about Bernard DeVoto, first Pulitzer Prize winner from Utah. Uh, Wallace Stegner called him Utah's most prominent writer. And he's largely forgotten in Utah in his hometown of Ogden. Uh, to rectify that situation, a Bernard DeVoto Commemoration Committee has been formed in this year, the 125th anniversary of his birth. And we're talking with David Rich Lewis, Utah State University Emeritus Professor of History, and Russell Burroughs, an associate professor at Weber State University specializing in American literature. We'll have more following this. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Conserve Southwest Utah, premiering The Good, the Bad, and the Slow, a film about the environment and development in Washington County. March 18th at 7 o'clock at the Electric Theater, 68 East Tabernacle Street in St. George. Virtual and in-person ticket information available at conserveswu.org. From the UPR Newsroom, I'm Sherry Quinn. During a time of drought, climate change, and major population growth, How can Utah better support a critical body of water, Great Salt Lake? Utah Public Radio, along with more than a dozen Utah organizations, has formed the Great Salt Lake Collaborative to share stories and explore ways to protect this state treasure before it is too late. Fill out the Great Salt Lake Solutions survey at upr.org and tune in here for stories about Utah's beloved Salty Lake. This Week in This American Life. When the pandemic hit, school buildings shut down. And lots of students just vanished. Some never showed up again. Enrollment's down in lots of places. And somehow, this idea that school is just a fact, inevitable. If you're a kid, you go to school, no way out. That got shattered too. Kids drifting away, some coming back this week. Saturday mornings at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about Bernard DeVoto. Uh, Wallace Stegner called him Utah's most prominent writer. He's largely forgotten Utah in his hometown of Ogden. And uh, so to change that situation uh, on this uh, 125th anniversary of his birth this year, a Bernard DeVoto commemoration committee has been formed. And you can uh, find them at weber.edu slash devoto commemoration. And we're talking with uh, two members of uh, that uh, commission, um, Russell Burroughs, Associate Professor at Weber State University, specializing in American literature, and David Rich Lewis, Utah State University Emeritus Professor of History. Uh, so, Professor Lewis, I want to start uh, this segment with, uh, this is a, I don't know if this actually happened, it's kind of a satirical look. Uh, I th- believe this is, you include this in your article on Bernard DeVoto's Utah. Um when he's at Harvard, Bernard DeVoto's at Harvard, and uh, the socialite gathers, I guess, the students there, and uh, he, he talks about this this kind of funny incident uh, where this socialite just can't believe that there are people from Utah, I guess, at Harvard. Right. Uh, do you want me to read? It's the uh, opening the, of his essay yeah. in Utah, and it really sets a stage for uh, that uh, Eastern bias against the West. He said, I had gone to a reception in the home of a Harvard professor. I was vouched for by a youth ancestral near the Cabots and the Lowells. <clears throat> Later in the evening, our, <coughs> excuse me. Later in the evening, our hostess on her rounds among the freshmen casually asked me where I came from. 
and three centuries of Boston culture kept her face expressionless at my answer. Thereafter, she was at pains to be kind to me, visibly shielding me from the severities of Brattle Street, Cambridge. But as I left, amazement triumphed. So, people really live in Utah, she exclaimed. I could see pity in her eyes and also apprehension. And no wonder, for she heard the noise of the gates of Harvard. Yes, at the Johnstown Gate itself, the bridles and scabbards of the Goths. But how, she asked. (laughs) And that's where Devoto takes off to say how people lived in Utah. And like he does in everything else, he starts with a history lesson. And then he goes from there up to the present to make that history, that context relevant. And this is exactly what Russ uh, told you about what he did with Mark Twain, um, that, that Devoto really found historical context essential to understand the present day. And, and that really informs all of his work, all of his arguments uh, uh, throughout his entire career. So this is, you know, this this precocious, brilliant, awkward kid from Utah makes his way at various universities, and then he makes his life really in New York. It's interesting, this is, he, he, he lives this urbane New York life, but he's from the West, and, and he has these histories of the West. I uh, wonder, you know, that's, that's got to come out of his, uh, his upbringing in the West, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his father is an intellectual of sorts and teaches him reading and gets him reading history and classics, his parochial school. You know, his experience in Utah uh, among uh, a culture that values history so much, you know, Mormon history, that's used to explain and justify the the sociopolitical state. And it's it's even weaponized against outsiders. And, And Devoto sees that, and he learns from it. He learns how to turn it on its head in these early essays. But he really becomes that historian um, uh, when he gets into Mark Twain. Uh, and, and, and that's really by critiquing his people, the people in literature, in, in English, uh, and uh, uh, those who degraded Twain's greatness. Uh, un without realizing that there is a context, that social history that Russ talked about, uh, of Twain's life and what and how he wrote, uh, and that makes him one of our greatest American authors. Mm. Uh, that's the point where he really makes the point that context matters. And then he carries that through his uh, three masterful histories, um, where he really becomes a historian, uh, per se, the year of decision across the wide Missouri and course of empire. And it's fascinating, fascinating that each of those is a step backward in time. The first is about 1846 and what leads up to the Civil War. The next is what precedes that, the fur trade and the process of Western settlement. And then he steps back again in the course of empire to write about European imperialism in North America, and the, the, that is the context for those two earlier books. So he writes this historical trilogy uh, about the westward movement. He writes it backwards, always looking, always stepping backwards, always looking back for that historical context and for causation. 
and that's really his, his path to becoming a historian that, that you see. And I think it is rooted, uh, at least initially, in his, his uh, uh, childhood and growing up in Utah. Uh, Stegner admired him. At least, I think uh, he was, Stegner was frustrated by Devoto in some cases, but but admired him overall. Uh, an impact on Stegner would it, tell us about the impact of uh, of Bernard Devoto's uh, work. Yeah, I think uh, his focus on uh, the environment in particular, um, uh, but the, the the literary tradition that they shared together, uh, writing about the West. Uh, uh, Stegner was drawn to Devoto for all of his strengths and his weaknesses, for his argumentativeness. And they shared this Utah connection. Uh, I, I think most Utahns would know and celebrate Stegner, another Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, winner in, in literature, um, but uh, yet not recognize Devoto. Uh, one of the things, uh, the, I'll, I'll just leave it here, that. Uh, because Rusk, I know, can speak to this better. One of the things that Devoto really influenced Stegner in doing is his book on John Wesley Powell, uh, titled Beyond the Hundredth Meridian. Uh, Devoto deeply um, uh, understood very deeply the significance of Powell uh, and Powell's writing about water and resources in, in an arid West uh, and is influential in, in encouraging Stegner to write what is one of still one of the great biographies of Powell and of, of water and aridity in, in the West, again, centering on Utah. Yeah, Professor Burroughs, could you, could you maybe expand on that? that to talk about um, Devoto's influence on, on other writers and maybe down uh, to today. Uh, um, yeah, I'd like to pick up uh, the thread with that paradox of Utah embracing uh, Stegner, um, but uh, either neglecting or disparaging uh, Devoto, um, the uh, the difference was that, uh, well, they were a generation apart, nearly, and, uh, and Devoto had to kick the dust of his heels off of Utah when he quit the University of Utah and went to Harvard, but... Uh, Stegner uh, landed in Salt Lake City um, at loose ends. His family was uh, dysfunctional, um, and but but Stegner uh, um, paid uh, Mormon culture a, a high compliment when he said that those good people, good neighbors he found around him, um, adopted him. Um, um, he admired the. The openness of the security of the, the Utah culture across the neighborhoods. He said any kid was welcome in any household. The kid had to do his behave. Stegner uh, loved the, the Mormon scout troop until he found a Methodist scout troop that fit his theology just a little bit better. And uh, Stegner had a, a good time at the University of Utah. He flourished there. And in tribute to that, Stegner wrote to Mormon country, um, which is a celebration of the of the uh, culture that uh, Stegner owed quite a debt to, and and Stegner always returned to Salt Lake um, in his career, and later in his life he he wrote uh, 
you wrote the Big Rock Candy Mountain and and uh, another book that celebrates Utah uh, culture. Um, those are some of the differences. Um, <clears throat> but uh, but as far as uh, further influence, uh, Devoto was enormously influential in uh, in the literary circles. Um, I've already mentioned that. Uh, when he wrote Mark Twain's America, he crossed swords with Van Wyck Brooks and those who had practiced a, a Freudian criticism. And uh, it wasn't too much longer after that that Devoto um, uh, again uh, got into a controversy with the uh, Marxist criticism. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> Devoto was the spark plug for some of the very best arguments about uh, the nature of literature and the best approaches to literature, um, which I've been in debt to because at various stages of my career, um, um, there has been Devoto, and I had to write one of my comprehensive exams. I chose Mark Twain, and there was Devoto, and I had to figure out uh, what I would do with Freudian criticism, there was Devoto, and I had to figure out what I would do with Marxist criticism, there was Devoto. Um, one of the strongest voices in that uh, mix um, of influence uh, that I had to sort my way through, not only to finish up my studies, but to function in this profession. Um, so, uh, Devoto's influence uh, ranged far and wide, and um, it's still worth a visit. Although what we've recently concluded is, if you if you're looking for a place to start with Devoto, um, with contemporary concerns in mind, uh, start with his essays on conservation. Let's uh, let's take a break, and I want to come back and talk about that. Uh, Bernard Devoto, the conservationist. We're talking about Bernard Devoto, uh, the uh, first Pulitzer Prize winner from Utah. Wallace Stegner called him Utah's most prominent writer. This year marks the 125th anniversary of his birth, and there is a Bernard Devoto Commemoration Committee that's been formed uh, this year um, on that, that anniversary. And you can find them at weber.edu slash devoto commemoration. We'll have more following this. On the next Radio Lab, how far can you push the human body before it breaks? I was starting to have nightmares, but I was awake. People seeing secret code in the cracks of the road. Riders jumping off their bikes to square off and fight mailboxes. We'll bring you the story of one race. It's a race that is designed to reveal what human limits are. That's on the next Radio Lab. Coming up next at 10 on UPR. What better way to celebrate Pie Day, March 14th, than with a free piece of Lucky Slice pizza? Utah Public Radio and Lucky Slice partnering to host a special drive through event on Monday, March 14th, Pie Day, from 6 to 8 p.m. We'll be handing out one free piece of pizza per person. All you have to do is drive through the UPR parking lot, and we'll hand you your slice through the car window. You can choose between cheese, pepperoni, or vegan pepperoni. Head to upr.org for all the details.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are talking with Russell Burroughs, Associate Professor at Weber State University, and David Rich Lewis, Utah State University Emeritus Professor of History. We're talking about Bernard DeVoto. Wallace Steiger called him uh, Utah's most prominent writer. This year is the 125th anniversary of his birth. And you can find information about the uh, Bernard DeVoto Commemoration Committee at weber.edu slash devoto commemoration. So, Professor Burroughs, right before the break, you uh, mentioned uh, Bernard DeVoto, conservationist. Uh, talk a little bit about that, and we'll get uh, perspective on this from Professor Lewis. Mm. Yes. Um, um, DeVoto uh, had that national forum with the regular column in Harper's Magazine, the Easy Chair, and he began to devote more and more of those Easy Chair columns uh, to conservation, in particular Western conservation. Now, I've always suspected that Devoto may have remembered uh, his affection for Western landscape although he was pretty good at describing landscape in his histories, but uh, at the end of gas rationing after World War II, uh, DeVoto uh, made a Western tour and went, uh, followed the course of Lewis and Clark, uh, swung down here through Utah, uh, over into Colorado, um, and it actually be... We don't have time to name all the places that he visited. Um, And uh, he saw uh, that the West was uh, not as healthy as he may have remembered it. And he decided that uh, he would use his voice in the interest of conservation. Um, By that time, uh, soil conservation had become a very pressing issue because of the dust bowl. And uh, with that start, uh, uh, Stegner took on some of the entrenched Western interests, in particular the cattle kingdom, um, uh, which had been encroaching upon the Forest Service administration of of lands. And uh, uh, Devoto became quite the the knight in shining armor in uh, discovering the what the uh, what the cattle barons wanted to do with the land and and uh, checking their initiatives um, by marshaling public sentiment um, and those have uh, those have proven to be the the durable pieces that uh, have a few years ago we appeared in a in a collection and that's what I would recommend that you start with for a good look. He, I've, I've said that Devoto was a, a uh, consumer advocate slightly before Ralph Nader, and Devoto was a conservationist or an environmentalist somewhat ahead of Rachel Carson. Um, and when we look back, we ought to acknowledge uh, Devoto's contributions to the, the health of uh, Western land and water. Uh, Professor Lewis, what uh, what's your take on uh on Bernard DeVoto, the conservationist. Yeah, 
Ross, Ross lays that out uh, very well in uh, the, the general terms. I, I think Devoto, um, uh, in his in his three major histories, he is an advocate for uh, American expansionism and for using the land and uh, the kind of determinism of, of that. But he always recognized that there was an environment underneath it that limited and forced people to to uh, uh, innovate. And I think Russ is right. When he comes back west later, after during and after writing those histories, he sees a different place. And he runs into um, a lot of the same attitudes that we see today towards the land by, by land users, a kind of anti-government attitude uh, and blaming the government for the condition of the land rather than the land users themselves. Uh, he, and he sees this, and while he's no fan of the government outright, he understands where responsibility lies uh, and the importance of, of that environment as public land, not as the right of any individual to rent or use that land, but as the public's domain. Uh, as belonging to the federal government. And so DeVoto starts writing uh, in the Easy Chair a uh, series of essays, uh, 40, 50 essays over over uh, a, a couple of decades about the West and the environment. And one of the earliest ones is called The West, a Plundered Province. And it's, it's a critique of this early sagebrush rebellion. Uh, they don't call it that then, but it's the late 20s and the early 30s where, uh, again, the way Eastern capital exploited uh, both Western resources and the anti-government sentiments of, of Westerners, not for the benefit of Westerners, but for their own benefit, the benefit of corporations. Um, and uh, in trying to get the, especially uh, the attempt to get the federal government to then give away or sell underneath market value all of that land. Um, Devoto goes on uh, in later essays to become much more specific uh, as the, the sagebrush rebellion uh, begins to converge around uh, Nevada uh, Senator Patrick McCarran, whose attempt during the 1940s and 50s is to hold hearings above, um, among public land users to the end of having the federal government give back that land to states or to individuals, get essentially dispose of the public domain. And that's where Devoto really starts to stand up and say uh, that to, to point out the, the benefits that the federal government have given to Westerners, uh, uh, that uh, the federal government isn't to blame for regulating public land resources uh, but instead is, is protecting Westerners from themselves. Uh, at the same time, Westerners are, all, are throwing that phrase out, get out, but give us more. Get out, don't regulate our land, but bring more military bases, more, more federal money, more forest service, or public lands money into the state. Uh, and that's where Devoto really begins to focus in on the ranching industry. Uh, and uh, the problem of the condition of, of public lands out west from overgrazing. Uh, there are a number of others, but that 
that kind of uh, one I, I love is Sacred Cows in the Public Lands, which uh, uh, speaks really clearly even to issues today that are being debated in Utah and the West. That fight over grazing and public lands leads them into the fight then over water, uh, the proposal for an echo park dam that would have flooded Dinosaur National Monument in eastern Utah, uh, uh, eastern Utah, western Colorado, that he becomes a leader of. And it's out of that fight that you see national organizations like the Sierra Club and the Wilderness Society forming. Devoto doesn't live to see that, but he is one of those uh, uh, organizing uh, uh, individuals uh, who, in through his writing and his activism, uh, draws the attention of the nation to these public lands and public water issues. Before we go on to uh, some other things, uh, Professor Lewis, I'd like to have you uh, talk a little bit about uh, Devoto's Devoto the man, his personality. I just want to read this uh, from your from your essay. Um, he was irascible, petulant, opinionated, and blunt, but also intellectually generous and able to change his mind. Uh, talk just a little bit about uh, his personality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is Devoto. He, he is brilliant at argument, and that's why, as Russ said, his essays are so good. You know, a lot of them uh, focus on, on issues of the moment of the day, but some of them, like his conservation essays, transcend that. Um, he was uh, kind of a, a prickly character. He knew what he thought, and he, he didn't change his mind easily. Uh, but at the same time, you see people see him uh, and a kinder, gentler side of him, especially in private conversation. Uh, friends uh, at the Breadloaf Writers Conference or, or historians that he influenced, like Arthur Schlesinger Jr., but particularly Wallace Stegner. And, and let me just, Stegner wrote uh, uh, that Devoto was, quote, flawed, brilliant, provocative, outrageous, often wrong often spectacularly right, always stimulating, sometimes infuriating, and never, never dull. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of, um, I think, uh, sums up his personality. Uh, Avis, his wife Avis, and uh, he were uh, the consummate hosts at cocktail parties in his home. Uh, Avis was uh, good friends with Julia Child and her husband, these two Couples uh, 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 socialized a lot together. Uh, I think Devoto uh, was that intellectual curmudgeon who forced people to think and to confront easy answers. Uh, th- that uh, if it was too easy, nah, you're probably wrong. It's more complicated than that. We just have about three minutes left. I want to uh, get this in. I was fascinated reading an article, uh, Professor Burroughs, that you wrote on the Devoto style. Uh, tell me just a little bit about Devoto the writer. Oh, um, well, uh, um, as, as Professor Lewis has, has said, um, uh, many of those essays... Um, transcend their subjects. Uh, uh, the Devoto style is something to behold. Um, and I tried to come to terms with it. And uh, what, I, what I realized was that uh, 
more than most contemporary writers, certainly um, more than the the living writers we have uh, shaping our opinions today, uh, Devoto had gone back to a, I'm going to call it a neoclassical style of writing, um, almost Baroque, maybe sometimes uh, we might call it Rococo, um, but that was uh, Devoto would line up complementary ideas uh, to the point at which he was driving, and then he would take all of those ideas, reduce them to a clause. He would put all of those clauses into exactly the same grammatical constructions. Now, in the in the handbooks, this is called parallelism, and and Devoto was a master at it. Um, he could he could write a sentence of a hundred plus words made up of ten, eleven, twelve ideas, all of them going in the same direction, all of them readable, um, because of his ability with parallelism, and without that essential uh, a sentence of that length, an idea of that complexity would be utterly impossible. Um, and I, I, I try to get across this idea uh, to my students that they can take three or four related ideas, reduce them to clauses with the same grammatical construction, and not only tighten up their prose styles, but they can enliven those styles quite a bit. Um, and if you want to read historically, um, the really the greats uh, among the literary names have all seemed to have had parallelism as an essential technique of putting ink on paper. Um, so I'm, uh, I'll tell the students, you'll make a quantum leap in your ability uh, to write if you get the essentials of parallelism and, and use those essentials to your advantage. Um, and I came out, they're not hard to find examples of Devoto um, writing these amazing uh, Baroque sentences. It's almost like we need an, an architecture to describe a sentence instead of merely a grammar. <laughs> um, but for me, that's one of the exhilarations of, of reading the man. He was a master stylist. Uh, I just want to read this from your essay. This is a very, very, uh, you know, uh, short one, but it, but uh, I was impressed by this. This is a Devoto example of parallelism. A kiss can be a comma, a question mark, or an exclamation point, which is uh, very effective. Um, so uh, we just have a, about a minute left. I'll give the last word to Professor Lewis. Uh, what... If you're forced to, you know, run from a burning building with some Devoto books, uh, <laughs> what would you, what would you suggest? Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, there's something to be found in each and every one of them. Uh, one of the books that is still in print today is called The Hour. It's a history of the cocktail culture post World War II. It is beloved by the the latest generation of mixologists. Uh, and good reading. Um, let me just say one thing that, that Russ made a really great point of is, is Devoto's writing style. It's not easy to read. Uh, it is demanding. He expects a lot from his readers. 
It is very literate and knowledgeable. Uh, modern generations may not enjoy it as much as others, but there is a tremendous amount of wealth in all of his writing, uh, a, a tremendous amount to learn from all of that. Well, we have reached the end of our time. I'll just uh, mention that uh, at that website we've been uh, mentioning weber.edu slash devoto commemoration. There is a uh, there's a section co with a bibliography, so you can uh, you can see the the major works there. There's also uh, uh, listings of some events uh, coming up in this anniversary uh, year, 125th uh, anniversary of the birth of Bernard Devoto. We've been talking about Bernard Devoto. Wallace Degner called him Utah's most prominent writer. He's a native of Ogden. And we've been talking uh, with Russell Burroughs, Associate Professor of English at Weber State University. Uh, Professor Burroughs, thank you so much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. And uh, David Rich Lewis, Utah State University Emeritus Professor of History. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Russ. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll hear some of the mellower sounds on the European sonic landscape with acoustic balladeers from Italy, Scotland, Greece, and France. Rien qu'un petit bout d'ongle dans un coin de ma poche. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for Acoustic Europe, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSU-FM, Logan.